Hello, 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 hello. Well, here we are. Um, so my name is Kathy Pence. I currently live in Tennessee with my husband and two children um, and one on the way, one child on the way. So things are definitely active and moving for us. Um, never a dull moment. But anyways, I am a lover of Jesus. And I, I love to talk about his word. I love to talk about him. I love to talk about love. And so that's why I'm here. And I want to share that with you. Um, I have started doing kind of a, a sermon series or a, a study series. Um, nine weeks. And it's about nine women who display the nine fruits of the Spirit. And last week I talked about Dorcas and the fruit of love. And that was really cool. And I will share that with you guys on a separate um, podcast. And tonight I want to talk about joy. And I want to talk about the Queen of Sheba displaying the fruit of joy. Um, these women that I'll be talking about every week, are women that we don't typically hear about in sermons or from the pulpit. And there's probably many reasons why. I think the women that we're going to be talking about are, um, they are not talked about much because their passages are short. Their stories are, are just a glimpse uh, into their lives. But I think these short little stories actually have really big meaning, um, really big impact. I think these women have had huge impact on the people around them, and I think they have huge impact on us even today. So um, I just feel like it's on my heart to share, and um, I hope you'll be encouraged and blessed by it just as much as I've been blessed to study it and to learn more. I pray that um, each of us will come into deeper revelation of who God is and, um, and who we are in him. I hope that we come into deeper connection with God and with each other um, and that any of this just only continues to point our eyes to Jesus even more. So, um, we're talking about joy tonight, though, and joy just like love, is not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling, although I think emotions and feelings are so important. My whole life I've been called a feeler, um, and maybe like I'm full of emotion. And I, it's always been told to me in such a negative way, and especially by people in the church. Um, and I, I think... That's a disservice, and I, I don't want to say that God can't use our emotions because he's the one who gave us these emotions. He's the one who who created them, and there's a reason why we have these feelings and these emotions that we do, um, and I think that they can be used as a guide. I, I think they can they can be used in so many ways, and God is such a relational God, and we are relational people, and emotions are important, so... I just think it's important 
that I kind of give a little head nod to that because I don't want anyone to think that, um, you know, when I say more than just a feeling that, that feelings are bad because they're absolutely not. Um, but joy is more than just happiness. It's more than just cheerful. Um, it's, it's generosity as well. It's generosity, generous giving. It's joy that goes deep. It runs deep. It's a happiness, a gladness, a cheerfulness, a delight, um, an exaltation. Uh, it's, it's so much, it's exuberation, you know, so much more jubilation, but it goes deep. It goes deep. Joy is not determined by our struggles, but by our future destiny. And the Israelites knew that when they were coming out of the, the desert, the wilderness, right? They, they were in there for 40 years, but they knew that God had a promise. That he not only was going to lead them through the wilderness, but he was going to lead them to the promised land. So when they came out, Psalms 105.43 says when they come out, they come out with, with joy. Because they knew that their joy was not determined by their struggles but by their future destiny. Gladness or joy is not based on our circumstances. And how, how do we have this? How do, what does this mean practically for us today? Well, I've seen it. I've seen it with people. I, my, one of my favorite memories is of uh, my friend Rosie, who had just had her car stolen, and she comes inside, and she says to her son, you know, well, someone just stole my car. And her son said, praise the Lord. And she said, praise the Lord. And, and that was it. Like, they just went on about their day. They did what they needed to do. They called the police. They did the things, you know. They reported it. But they knew that it was just material, it was just material possession, um, that God would bless them and they would be fine, ultimately. And, and her car was found like two days later, and, and nothing was wrong with it. Someone just took it for a joy ride. Um, and so, like, that to me shows someone, in a very practical way, being able to have joy in the midst of a terrible circumstance. And, and I think joy also means that you might not be happy about something, right? So when we lose a loved one, we are not happy about it. In fact, we mourn and we grieve and we're sad, right? But how can we have joy that goes deep in the midst of sadness? Well, I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. I think that's what scripture is trying to teach us. I think that's what these stories are trying to teach us, right? And, and of course, there's the, the infamous James 1, chapter 2, consider it pure joy when we are faced with many trials and tribulations, right? Let's see if I can pull this up here specifically. Consider all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
I'll keep going. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That was James 1, 2 through 4. First of all, we, we recognize and we acknowledge that we are lacking nothing. And this is how I'm able to have joy in the midst of sadness. Because I know that I already have everything that I need and more. And God continues to show me that. He continues to show me that my struggles, my joy is not determined by my struggle, but by my future destiny. And I know that he is faithful to his promise. I know that I am his and he is mine. I know that he has me no matter what. And so I, that, that is my hope, right? That's how I'm able to have joy, no matter the circumstance. But I also do believe, so all that, let's set that and, and put that in our, in our brains, right? Put, put that in your pocket. And I'm going to come back to the actual emotion of it, of joy. Joy runs deep. You know, we might describe the emotion of joy as happiness or cheerfulness or gladness. Um, or or it's, it's uh, tangible, practical. You see it on someone's face in a smile. You see it in a child when they're playing. And they're swinging on that tire swing and they just, it's like the best thing they've ever experienced in their life. There's something very tangible and practical. And that's why when I read about the Queen of Sheba, I felt there was something very tangible and practical about the Queen of Sheba. And and if you're not really looking for it, you might miss it, okay, because... You might not even think it's this outward expression of joy, but I, I'll, I'll talk about it. I'm going to read it, and let's see if you catch it, okay? There's two accounts of the Queen of Sheba. First um, Kings, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Second Chronicles, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Both are in the Old Testament. Both are the same account, just written and honestly, maybe not even that differently. They're probably almost the same word for word, verbatim. The reason why we have verses are when the, the Bible was all put together, collected, all the writings were put together, and um, the canon, the verses were given later uh, to help it easier for us, for it to be easier to read, right, um, and to break it up. But I like just reading it straight all the way through. So I'm not going to say verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. I'll just read it. And I'm going to I'm going to read the New American Standard translation. There's many different ways to translate um, Hebrew words, Greek words, everything. Some people translate um, thought by thought, phrase by phrase. Um and some people do it word by word. Some It's very paraphrased, and they put it in our modern-day language. And I love it all, and I encourage you to, to read several translations when you're studying and to saturate yourself in the Scripture and read these Scriptures over and over and over again 
and get yourself a study Bible and get yourself a dictionary, um, a concordance. Those things are really helpful uh, when it comes to studying. So, um, but I'm going to read the Second Chronicles chapter nine, um, verses one through twelve. Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions. She had a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and a large amount of gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was on her heart. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from Solomon, which he did not explain to her. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I had heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told to me. You surpass the report that I had heard. How blessed are your men! How blessed! Are these servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom? Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because God loved Israel, establishing them forever, therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. There had never been spice like that which the Queen of Sheba gave to the King of Solomon. And the servants of Haram and the servants of Solomon, who brought gold from Ophir, also brought algum trees and precious stones. And from the algum the king made steps for the house of the Lord, and for the king's palace, and lyres and harps the singers. And none like that was seen before in the land of Judah. And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire, which she requested, besides a return for what she had brought to the king. And then she turned and went to her own land with her servants. And so here we have, that's the end of, of that account. And the other one in First Kings is, um, I think, almost identical, if not identical. Um, there might be some words that are slightly different. Um, but what stands out to me with joy, okay, maybe you didn't catch it. First of all, when I think of the Queen of Sheba, she had traveled uh, by boat, because where she comes from, we learn um, before and after, we learn afterwards that she's uh, a merchant of the sea, that, that she returns on her boat and goes back. So she traveled, but she came with all of these gifts for King Solomon. Now, I don't know, maybe it was custom to give kings these, you know, from one queen to a king to come bearing gifts. 
but she didn't know. She had just heard stories of Solomon. She didn't know him personally. She hadn't yet met him. How is she to know that he was, in fact, the man everyone said he was? She still came with all these gifts. And I really think in a cheerful way, um, it says that she, she came to test Solomon with difficult questions. There's another translation that says uh, riddles. And the way that it's, it's written, it's in a way that to me comes off very playful, very inquisitive. I think of a child when I think of the Queen of Sheba just coming with all of her questions, but what about this? And what about that? And wh why did you choose this? Why did you choose that? What does it mean um, to have this or to have the full wisdom of God? What does it mean to, to have a kingdom like this? And so I, I think of it as this very, like, much sense of wonder. And when we think about riddles and we think about testing people with questions, you know, um, it might be easy to think of it as coming down with, like, backing someone in a corner, but I don't know about you guys, I've got several uncles who test me with riddles every time I see them, but there's a playfulness with them, there's a, there's, it's cheerful, they, they're, they're just asking me questions, but it's a joke, it's a, you know, it's a fun, playful way to connect, and so I, I think that when I think of Queen of Sheba coming to him with these questions, I think of her like a child coming with this such sense of wonder and awe. And I could be wrong, but this is what I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart in the analogies that he's given me. The picture of the Queen of Sheba. And then she says, after she, you know, asks him these questions, and he holds nothing back. He answers all of them, which is amazing. So that, that tells me that he wasn't offended, that he didn't feel backed in a corner, that he wasn't defensive, but he answered them. And there was, there was this delight with her. She says, how blessed are your men. How blessed are your servants who stand before you continually. The word blessed here actually translates to a Hebrew word that means from happiness. So she's saying, from happiness are your men. From happiness. And so there's a delight even even her. And she says, blessed be the Lord. From happiness be the Lord your God who delighted in you. Who delighted in you. So here she is, previous to meeting Solomon, probably not a believer. Not only a believer, not a believer of Solomon, but not a believer of the God of Israel. Um, I think where she comes from, it is very pagan area. Now, there's historians have an argument of where the Queen of Sheba has actually come from. Um, some say that it's a Arabian country. Um, some say Ethiopia. But here in Scripture, it says that it's 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 probably more of an Arabic, you know. Um, country, but they worship other gods, pagan gods, and not the God of Israel. Um, so I'm assuming that she was not a believer. Then she comes with this awe and this wonder. She's looking around. She's seeing what's happening. She's seeing 
and meeting Solomon for the first time. And he's not this arrogant king, but he is, everyone loves him. Everyone's like, he's amazing. I mean, and why wouldn't they think that? Because he's, he's built up the city. He's built the temple. He, he clothes his servants in finest garments. You know, he's, he celebrates. He celebrates people. And you know, if you're ever in a place where you're celebrated, if you've ever had a job where you're celebrated, doesn't that make it just so much better? Don't you want to continue working there? Don't you want to continue being there? These people were celebrated. And here Queen of Sheba comes as a queen, a leader herself. And she sees how he's treating his subjects, right? He's treating his, his servants. And she's amazed. So she becomes um, a believer of Solomon, of all the stories and things she's heard of. But she becomes a believer of God, the God of Israel. Because she begins to acknowledge the Lord. And even though she says, the Lord, your God, she, she says, blessed be the Lord, your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne as king for the Lord, your God, because your God loved Israel, establishing them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. And then she gave Solomon all these gifts. Like such such a, a, a generous thing for her to do. I mean, spices and stones, and and she gives him gold. Um, she gives him all these things. She gives him this this wood that's like amazing wood, like strong cedar trees. But I don't know what an algum tree is, but it's apparently very sought after, and it's it's strong enough to make steps. And it's, it's strong enough to make lyres and harps, you know, musical instruments. Um, so she comes and she, she brings these gifts and she gives them to him as a generous giving, joyful giving. There's great delight that I sense in this whole interaction. And, and I, again, I could be reading into this. Certainly when we read scripture, there are, there are certain tones and things that we can insert. And I'm not trying to do that. I absolutely believe that as I was reading and studying, that God had opened up my eyes and my perspective to not see this woman as an antagonist, but as a child who's just so eager to learn, so eager to know who this Solomon is, and who his God is. And because of the way he answered and responded to her, because of what she saw and witnessed in him and around him, she believed. Isn't that amazing? So we think about us in our lives today. How can we display joy? I don't believe it's something that we can muster up on our own, right? Because people will know if it's fake. People will know if it's disingenuine. But if love is the motivator, and we go to God and for his definition of joy, that will come out of us. It, it will literally just pour out of us. 
and everything we do and say, everything around us will be a testimony of our joy, of our delight. The way we respond to circumstances, the way we we respond to people, People will see this, right? Others around us will see this and notice this. And this is how they see Jesus in us. This is how people see and taste and feel and know that he is good. And the only work that we have to do is to believe in the one whom he has sent, which is Jesus Christ. All it takes is for us to believe. And that's all it took for the Queen of Sheba. To come and see and believe. So, I encourage you that whatever's going on this week, today, this moment, that you ask God to show you joy. And you know what? Come out and play. Come out and play. Enjoy what He has. This life that we've been given, I know things are so hard, but here I am sitting in a sonic parking lot with the sun beaming down on my face, and, I, and I'm seeing all these trees around, and I'm so incredibly grateful for the sun kissing my face, for the breeze coming through, for the ice that Sonic makes, because it's amazing. I'm so incredibly grateful for this world and this life that God has given me, even in the midst of hard. And life is hard. And I tell you, I'm the first one to ask for God to make it easy for me. But we're not promised easy. We're not. But what we are promised is relationship with Him a life with him today, as well as into eternity. We are promised what he's promised us, and that is sonship, daughtership, right? That we get to be a part of his family. And because of that, we get to experience these fruits of the Spirit we get to experience joy in the mundane and the in the ordinary. I get to experience joy when I'm sitting at the bedside of my father-in-law as he's dying from cancer. I get to experience joy in the parking lot of Sonic. I get to experience joy when I watch my children jump on the trampoline wind in their hair like it's the best thing ever so I encourage you to uh, pursue relationship and it doesn't take much because he's already there waiting for you Jesus Christ is already there with open arms talk to him ask him about joy and he'll reveal it to you I love you I'm praying for you and with you, and I really, 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 really pray that you can enjoy today. Love you guys. Bye. Here we are again. 
studying nine fruits, nine women, understanding God through a woman's need. Um, we're doing this study. I've been doing this study for the last couple weeks and um, plan to do it for the next several weeks as we cover the nine fruits of the Spirit and specifically in the lives of nine women uh, through their lives and through their experiences and through through them um, in, in what I, I, I believe the Lord has told me what fruits they've displayed in their lives. My hope is that we get to know the Spirit of God a little bit more, um, that He reveals Himself a little bit more to us um, through all this. So yeah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Um, the last couple weeks we talked about love, we talked about joy, um, we talked about Dorcas displaying the fruit of love. And um, Joy was an interesting one with the Queen of Sheba, uh, but I really, it really stood out to me, and I feel like the Lord made it stand out to me with the Queen of Sheba. So that was a good one. So listen to those if you get a chance. Um, they, they, were, they were really encouraging to me, so I, I hope that they are to you as well. But um, tonight we're going to cover peace, the fruit of peace. And, and the person who I believe displays that really well in Scripture. Um, peace, I'm sure all of you at one point or another or even this past year have asked the Lord for peace. Um, maybe things have been tumultuous in your relationships. Maybe there's been a lot of chaos in your life. Um, Maybe there's division uh, in your church communities or your work community um, or just your family. And you have been desiring for peace. Um, well, you're not alone. I'm there with you. Um, there's always a time in my life where I ask the Lord to lead me with his peace. Um, Peace for me um, comes with such a confidence and assurance. I, I struggle a lot with fear, um, fear of the unknown, fear of, um, you know, just the dark, <laughs> darkness, dark things. Um, and so I'm, I, I need that assurance. I need that confidence. Um, peace is a state of assurance, a lack of fear, a sense of contentment. It is fellowship, harmony, and unity between individuals. And peace is a freedom from worry, disturbance, and oppressive thoughts. Uh, the Greek word for peace is irini, irini, and it and it means all those things that I've just said. Uh, and, and what stands out to me most is a freedom. Peace is a freedom from worry, disturbance, and oppressive thoughts. There's a, there's a deliverance in the fruit of peace. Um, we're all probably familiar with the Philippians uh, chapter 4, 
verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then here we go, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we want. And we want to be able to rejoice. And I think that um, peace leads to rejoicing. Um, and, and last week we talked about having joy no matter the circumstance. Um, and I think that peace and joy and love and all of this, they, they all go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other, truly. So, um, yeah, we want that. We desire that. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's John 14, 27. So here we have this fruit of peace. You know, and, and, and why we call these the fruits of the Spirit is because they grow over time. They grow and they flourish. Um, but it does take time and, and effort, but not, not by our own might. I can't muster up peace on my own. This is why it's the fruit of the Spirit. So he's the one laboring in love. He's the one um, putting forth this effort to produce the fruit in our lives. Um, and so, yeah, I think that uh, if you've ever read scripture, you've read all sorts of analogies. And I love it because our human brains really can't comprehend the God of the universe and how he works. And so he gives us all these analogies in our world, the things that we do know, the things that we can comprehend, so that we can get a glimpse of who he is. And um, so, yeah, fruits of the Spirit, peace. I want it. I'm sure you want it. Uh, so let's talk about who I think displays this fruit this fruit of peace. And, and we're going to go back to the Old Testament again. And we're going to talk about Deborah. How many of you have heard of Deborah? Um, maybe more so in this past year. Um, as uh, if you've been in the church scene at all, you might have seen the, the rise of um, prophetic giftings and prophetic words. And so... Um, Deborah herself was a prophetess, um, meaning that she gave messages from the Lord to his people. She gave them his words and his glimpses into the future um, to his people and also explained to God's people how he works. That's what Deborah did as a prophetess. She also was a judge and um, was in a time of the judges. Um, in this time, this was after Joshua, and um, I love Sunday school stories, so if you've been to Sunday school, you've heard of Joshua fighting 
the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. You know, but Joshua uh, really led, you know, an obedient people. Sure, there were times where there was rebellion or questions, um, but they were, they were, they listened and, and they followed. Uh, and Deborah is in the time of the judges. It's about a 350 year span of time that some people call the dark age uh, because the Israelites, the Hebrew people, God's people, are they are defeated time and time again um, by other leaders, other kings, other rulers uh, due to their rebellion against God. God allowed these things to happen, these other leaders to rise up and to, to come against his people because it's just this constant cycle of sin but also repentance and salvation. So we really see this story of Jesus in the book of um, Judges. And so it's, it's really, it's, you know, if you, if you don't stop and pause, it's easy to look over and to just read it as names and events and a time span. But, but this, this theme runs throughout. Um, this book of Judges. And so here Deborah is, a woman in this time when, oh my goodness, women were not thought of as leaders. Um, They were really more thought of as property, and that's not what God had intended. So if ever you read scripture, God does, he never condones the use of women as property. Um, in fact, he celebrates women and he lifts them up. And you, you see it all throughout scripture. Um, and he calls them and he gives them a purpose and, and destiny. And so here Deborah is in this time of rebellion against God. And she's a woman and she's a leader. She's a judge. So the Hebrew um, word for judge, or the Hebrew title of the book of Judges is Shophethim. Shophethim, meaning judges, rulers, deliverers, or saviors. Shophet not only means maintaining justice in settling disputes, but it also is used to mean liberating and delivering. And this really stuck out to me because when I think about peace when I said earlier um, freedom peace is freedom from worry disturbance and oppressive thoughts well here Deborah is a judge Shofet and she is there to help liberate them from their oppression from their sin, from their depression. And so she sits under this palm tree, which I love because God is everywhere, not just within walls, but outside of them too. And all these other leaders and all these other people are coming to her. So let let me just, before we get ahead of ourselves, let me just read it. Let me read 
this part of Judges chapter 4, and it talks about Deborah and Barak are called. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth, Hagoim. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had nine hundred iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord the God of Israel has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops, to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. And I'll stop there. That's verse 10, chapter 4, 1 through 10. And it goes on, and they are victorious against the Canaanites, against um, Sisera and his army. And Sisera flees on foot, but we're going to talk about what happens to him um, in a couple weeks. So, but they're, they're victorious. And so what I, I love about this is she says, sure, you know, first he asks her, you know, she comes to him and gives him this word. And he, he says, well, I'll go, but only if you go with me. She's like, well, I'll go with you, but you're not going to get the honor, you know, a woman will, um, which shows me so much confidence. Deborah has so much confidence and assurance. And surely, why wouldn't she? She just received this word from the Lord. She knew that they were going to be victorious. And she has this beautiful relationship with God um, that just, she, she doesn't have any fear, any fear of what's to happen. Um, just a total peace about what's, what's going what's gonna to go down. And I don't know. I don't know if she battled too. You know, if she wore armor and like showed up. Imagine what that would look like. You know, in a sea of men. And seeing this woman warrior uh, coming with them. But again, they, they all had to know Deborah or of Deborah. Uh, because they've been coming to her already for wisdom and advice and to hear the word of the Lord. 
They've been yearning. They saw the confidence and the peace and the assurance in Deborah, which is what drew them to her. And they wanted that. And, and they felt confident. And Barack felt confident um, to have her with him. So that, that is just so amazing to me. Um, and, and again, these, these verses, these, um, these women that we're talking about, they're so short. But I think that they have such a big impact, such a big meaning. Especially if you really dig into the culture at the time. And if you read um, scripture in context, if you read what's been happening before this, and after this, it's huge. It's huge what Deborah did. It's so amazing, um, and I just I, I I cannot I cannot get over her her state of assurance and lack of fear. Um, and because of that, because of her her assurance in her relationship with God, she helped bring this unity amongst His people. So this peace that she had, not only is for herself, but it pours out of her and touches everyone she comes in contact with, everyone she meets. And so that's what peace does. Peace is not just for us. Peace is not just going to the mountains to get away for quiet and retreat. And, um, and it's not just, and it's not chaos free. Okay, because here she is in the midst of a battle and has this assurance. So you could be right in the middle of a battle of your own and have total peace. You could be confused about lots of things in your life and yet still have assurance of your relationship with God. A contentment in him many days I don't know what he's going to do and I just sit and I wait and I am content in him I have a friend who always said I'm on a need-to-know basis says that I I'll do you know God will tell me what I need to know when I need to know it and that's kind of how I roll um, and, th- and that, that's because of my contentment and my relationship with him and because of my trust in him that he's going to tell me what I need to know when I need to know it um, of course it's a struggle at times and I still get afraid um, and I have to constantly go to the feet of Jesus and ask him to help me and ask the spirit to give me his fruit of peace. Um, and I encourage you to do that too, whatever you're facing. Or maybe maybe life's just really boring and mundane for you right now. Um, whatever, whatever's happening, whether it's full of angst or excitement or um, quiet and isolation, I encourage you to run to the feet of Jesus and ask him for this peace that he leaves with us, this peace that he gives us in, in a way that nobody else can. So that's what I have for you today, and I love you guys, and I'm praying for you. 
and uh, with you and I hope you're encouraged and reach out to me if you have any questions I'd love to do more podcasts um, with like follow-up questions um, I don't know Q&A let's uh, let's get you know creative with it and we'll see what happens so um, yeah God bless to you and yours um, y'all are loved <laughs>